Father God, there are many, many things that come to mind when we come before the throne of grace. And of course, we must always begin with the recognition that you are the one who is sovereign over our lives. And uh, not only sovereign, but uh, that you love us with a perfect love and always have. And that we've always been in the center of your mind and heart and uh, also your plan. And certainly that is true today. You've blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies. I'm thankful, Father, to you for that. And for and then for reminding us, after teaching us, then reminding us that we might not forget. We easily do when we're surrounded by the enemy in various forms, as we are today. Father, I, I just thank you and praise you for intersecting with our lives and drawing us to yourself by the word of grace. Thank you for those who were obedient and shared that precious truth with us on that critical day. Father, thank you that we have been kept by the power of your grace and love until this very day. And this meeting today is in your name, gathering those who would desire to fellowship together around your precious word. Father, I'm so thankful for uh, each one who's present here today. And there's so many that we know, our families and our friends, who also, Father, uh, have been reminded of these precious truths. Father, I pray that we would be bold to share with others in these dark days. Uh, indeed, it does seem to us that the days are uh, shortening, as it were, uh, as we approach that point where you'll be calling us home. Father, we certainly look forward to that, and we would thank you and praise you uh, for these days, therefore, that we have opportunity to shine as lights in the darkness and to be the means uh, used by you, Father, to draw another to yourself in saving faith. Father, I pray for our families and our loved ones. And some are in times of trial and testing uh, in a number of ways, perhaps. And others uh, seem to be just doing so well. And we're thankful, Father, for each one. And uh, we know your good hand rests upon all uh, who, who know and love you. So for whatever our circumstances are, Father, we would praise you and thank you that our Affairs are in your control. Thank you, Father, that uh, you've provided various means of helping us through these days, too. And uh, those that suffer in health or in other areas uh, may have received and are still receiving what they need, Father, medically, uh, physically, financially, other ways. Father, I pray for all of our people in this great nation and uh, that we would know what our origins are and what the values are that were recognized at that time by men of different backgrounds and different educational uh, accomplishments, different expertise in life and uh, yet all gathered together and agreed on some fundamentals and uh, 
among the greatest, of course, is that uh, we are all one people here in this nation. Uh, by your creative work, Father, we have this liberty. We were created uh, free. Freedom was not a gift by the government or by those that founded it, but simply recognized as the gift of Almighty God. Father, thank you so much for that. And may we all be bound together in that fundamental conviction. And may this nation be preserved. May the flag uh, continue to wave and uh, may liberty prevail here, Father, uh, each day, each year, until you come for us to take us, Father, home. And we just look forward to that. May it be today. Father, please bless us as we open your word this morning. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, amen. Uh, well, we have a great opportunity set before us here. And that is to finish up our studies in uh, Paul's two letters to the Thessalonians. We've already finished uh, them in a sense. We've certainly spent much time there over the last months. And I trust and pray that it's been a great blessing to you. It certainly has been to me to again uh, spend precious time here in this word of truth. The word of truth is so powerful. It's so precious. I pray that each of us here would receive that word of truth with gladness. And Father, may your grace be upon us in this. One more prayer needs to be asked and uh, we'll look forward to see the answer. Okay, well, we could focus on a number of things today that we haven't yet looked at in any detail. Now, these are <clears throat> mostly on the high level. We've looked at the at the trees, so what about the forest? <laughs> One might ask. Don't want to miss the forest for the trees. We could, though, and it would be a valuable thing to do, to look at different approaches to interpretation of these letters, look at them in contrast to one another, because we, we see so many contrary views today, uh, presenting God's word in ways that totally contradict one another. And, and there's great confusion that uh, really is the way of life of the church today in this country, great confusion. Many used to preach the truth of God who have now turned aside. Others more recently have come to know it and are preaching boldly. But uh, there seem to be fewer and fewer doing that. And uh, the effect of that on the people of God is really very, very great. Um, many do not take scripture literally, and that seems to be the heart of the problem, ultimately. What Paul wrote in these letters is intended by the Thessalonians to be taken very literally. Otherwise, it would not have been meaningful to them. Uh, and yet, uh, it's all in a context of uh, false teachers who came to Thessalonica and 
perverted the teaching that Paul had given uh, to those believers. And uh, the consequence of that was severe. I mean, there was great unrest, uh, confusion, and anxieties in the church in Thessalonica because of the false teachers and how they had contradicted Paul's teachings concerning God's grace and tried to replace uh, the grace of God with a legal system and one that uh, could never have been a reality. Uh, it did not provide the believers with, with hope that was enduring or with confidence regarding the future at all. All it did was, was uh, cause them to be uh, anxious and fearful and uh, disappointed greatly that God was not going to bless uh, his people as they had assumed that he would. Paul had taught them that when Christ returned, they would all be caught up together in the air, and so would they ever be with the Lord. And yet the false teachers were teaching something quite contrary. And so Paul writes in a context of what the false teachers had been writing and teaching these people. We could focus again on all of that, but I think we've pretty much done that sufficiently already. So what I'd like to do today is to look more on the level of life, life and our constant hope and expectation in this life, which is to be joined together with our loved ones and with our precious Lord. That's really Paul's overriding theme in these letters. The life of the believer under grace. We are living under grace and not law. Without the knowledge of that and the confidence that that gives us, we will have a radically different mode of life than what Paul exhorts here. And that's what I want us to take away from these letters more than anything. Just what is the way of life that we should have as we look forward expectantly to the perhaps very soon return of the Lord for us, right? Loving his appearing is to be the byword and the foundation of our lives. So what I'd like us to do is look at these eight chapters. Every one of them has a slightly different focus on the same fundamental truth, and that is that the Lord is coming for us, right? He's coming for us. It's not about judging the world for its great rebellion and sin. He will do that. That is absolutely sure. But the message for the church, the body of Christ, is that he is coming for us. And that should give us the hope that enables us to endure whatever circumstances and trials come our way. Okay, so this is all about the rapture of the church. It's all about the pre-tribulational rapture of the church. Tribulation will be a time of judgment that comes upon the earth, and it will come upon the earth uh, because God will fulfill his promises to his people. He will hold uh, his enemies accountable. Okay, and uh, when the tribulation period begins, there will be no believers. 
Why, how could it be? Well, because they'll all have been caught up into heaven's glory, right? <laughs> and many living on the earth at the beginning of that seven-year period of time will be the very ones that refused to accept and to receive the message of grace because if they had received it, they would have been saved and would have been then gloriously caught up into heaven's glory. Okay, so all chapters, all eight chapters, five in the first letter, three in the second, focus on the rapture of the church. And there are these different aspects to that that are revealed there, and they're all practical. They all have to do with our hope, and they all have to do with our lives today. So the first is, it was, meaning the rapture, it was and is the believer's testimony. It was and is the believer's testimony. Secondly, the rapture, its anticipation was the apostles' joy. It was Paul's great joy to look forward to it. Thirdly, rapture will initiate our heavenly inheritance. <laughs> what can be important, more important to know than that, right, and to expect? Fourthly, at the rapture, the dead will be raised and blessed first. Those that have already died will be the very first to receive the blessings. Fifthly, our expectation is sure, even appointed. So it's no small thing. It's not, it's not something to be minimized, maybe not that important, as you often hear today. The rapture of the church is sure and appointed, and therefore our expectation is founded well, right? Okay. Sixthly, the promise of the rapture demands the judgment of those that have not believed, okay? Why? Because it guarantees our deliverance, right? Therefore, their judgment is assured. Seventhly, concerning the rapture, it's our calling to be glorified together with him. So much in those words. To be glorified together with him. It's our calling. And then finally, the rapture. By God's power, we expectantly wait for it. By God's power, we expectantly wait for it. It's not something that... Um, you can take or leave, and everything will be the same no matter what, right? It's something quite different from that. By the power of God, we're called to expect it and to expect it perhaps today. And those are the eight, the eight chapters and the eight points. Those are the, the uh, focal points that Paul uh, stresses there so much. You see how practical this is? It's all about our lives today. So let's begin. First of all, the rapture was and is the believer's testimony. And I'd like Linda, would you please read those critical two verses for us out of First Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10? For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had onto you, and how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God, and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, 
which delivered us from the wrath to come. Thank you, Linda. So what Paul is saying here is that this was a shared testimony. First, he preached, then they believed and were transformed by the power of God. Then they testified. And the word of their salvation became quickly known, right? And Paul would go to another city and preach and find out that what had happened in Thessalonica was already well known there. Okay. Uh, now, this is in a Jewish community at the beginning here or there. Paul went first into the synagogues, and the word had gotten around that what had happened in Thessalonica was dramatic, and it was so dramatic that uh, there was a word that was being spread abroad person to person. Today, we live in a time when there's um, a virus. Community transmission is a byword being used by the governmental authorities, right? It's still on our website here, giving the status for the day, right? A community transmission is still real. Oh, well, there was community transmission, all right, back in those days. And that's what Paul writes about here. <clears throat> there was a shared testimony. And what was it a testimony of? It says here, <clears throat> you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. It's all about the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. That was their testimony, not only did they testify concerning their salvation from sin, but also their hope of deliverance from the wrath to come? You see that? That's so clearly revealed there. But what do we find in the churches today? There's nearly no testimony anymore, uh, proper testimony at least, re regarding the rapture because... There's no conviction anymore. The teachers come out of the seminaries without that conviction, uh, believing whatever uh, was the, the theme of the day there at that particular school. And they have no conviction, so they can't share a conviction with others. Uh, if anything, there's confusion regarding this most fundamental doctrine. So without conviction and assurance, how can the saints of God be confident, and how can they have the testimony that the Thessalonians did? Uh, impossible, right? Well, it's even worse, you might say, regarding the gospel of grace. Is that shared broadly? And I would say no. Uh, that's even more critical, because without the gospel, there's no power of God unto salvation. Think about that and the consequences of it. And similarly, without a clear teaching on the rapture, there is no power of God unto sanctification, not in the fullest sense. And that's really what Paul is writing of here in these letters. So that's the first point. Uh, first point that uh, the rapture was and is the believer's testimony.
today, or at least should be. Secondly, the rapture of the church, its anticipation was the apostles' great joy. It was his joy to anticipate this. And what he, what he writes about that is maybe not what you would have expected. He doesn't think about the Lord appearing in, in glory and, you know, every eye seeing all of this, right? That's not it at all, right? In fact, the coming of the Lord for us will be quite secret and invisible to the rest of the world. But in these two verses, Lisa, please read them for us here. We see what the apostle was focused on. First Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. <laughs> Thank you, Lisa. You see, if we read scripture carefully, we learn what's on the heart of the Apostle Paul, what was on his heart. It was also very, very personal, even from the beginning of the letter here. And he gets to chapter two and he says, what is our hope or joy or crown? Are not even ye, you, you Thessalonians, you are our joy. And then he adds in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming. You are our glory and joy. This isn't Paul boasting. This is Paul speaking from the heart and saying, the greatest joy in his life was such as these, these Thessalonians. And to be gathered together with them, God having completed his purpose in this life and now introducing us all to the next life, right? Uh, uh, to be forever with one another and with the Lord Jesus, right? That's glory, glory, glory indeed, right? And uh, what a joy. <laughs> so would to God that we also would have this hope and expectation for one another, right? To be together with the Lord uh, forevermore and with our dearly beloved ones, right? Wow, at his coming, meaning at the rapture of the church, okay? Well, thirdly, the rapture of the church will initiate our heavenly inheritance. That's exactly what you expect him to get to next. Chapter 3, verses 11 through 13 of chapter 1. Charlie, would you please read that for us? Now, God himself and our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ direct our way unto you, and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love, one toward another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. To the end, he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness before God, even our Father, and at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ with all his saints. Thank you, Charlie. So, so many things are secured for us and absolutely certain. Some things, however, are still that the story is still unwritten, and that has to do with how will we receive the word of truth and grow through that, right? Until that point where we're caught up and everything is perfected. Okay, so that's really the message of these three verses. And Paul really here is calling out to the Lord God, right? 
because it, it's all about the work of God in our lives. It's not about us and what we might do for him. It's all about how he works in us to glorify himself, right? Okay, so he says, you know, God himself and our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, may he direct our way to you and the Lord make you to increase and abound in love one toward another and toward all men, okay? To the end that, you see, this is the, the, he looks to the end point of it. So we are all in a maturing process, growth, right? Gaining understanding and reflecting that in our lives, uh, that God may be glorified day by day and hour by hour in and through us, right? It's not living up to a law. It's receiving fully all the benefits of his life, okay? And the Holy Spirit uh, operates in us. Galatians chapter 5 is all about this. It's all about the fruit of the Spirit, the first segment of which is love. And so that's what Paul chooses here. It's sort of a, an umbrella term because it fulfills everything, right? If we abounded in love one toward another and toward all, what else could there be yet to be accomplished, right? And so he, he thinks of love as that which is going to take us to the end. It, it's the motivating force. It's the, the power uh, behind the engine of life. He says, to the end that he may establish your hearts unblameable in holiness. God's going to make the difference eventually. We're imperfect here, but he's going to perfect everything at that time. At what time? When the Lord catches us up to meet him in the air and to bless us with the fellowship of those that have gone before, right? So that's the point where everything will be perfected. Not before, but then, right? Everything looks to that time. And so Paul here is, again, he's focused on the rapture. It's the initiation point for our heavenly inheritance. Then the fourth point, regarding the rapture of the church, the dead will be raised and blessed first of all. <laughs> uh, <clears throat> there's all too much focus on ourselves in life. We think about uh, our lives, our own individual personal circumstances and trials and testings and sometimes blessings, and, but not enough. Um, there's all this focus on ourselves, but Paul says we need to focus on others. There's a heritage <laughs> that we're all part of, right? And we've been thinking much about that in these last days here uh, regarding our nation and its founding. And all those that went before and all those that suffered, even bled uh, on our behalf, right, to preserve this nation against every foe, right? Many died and are no longer with us here. Their memory is strong, however. And what Paul says here is that those that have gone before will be the first to be blessed. I think it's a very precious thing to consider. They'll be the first to be blessed when that call, that shout, and that voice comes, as he mentions here, and we're caught up 
to be with him in the air. Verse 16, the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. These are the words that Paul knew would comfort those believers in Thessalonica. And therefore, his focus is uh, that way. Comfort one another with these words. He says in verse 14, though, he says, if we believe. You know, that doesn't diminish the impact of this. It only increases it because every one of them, and he didn't think any had been led astray from that conviction, every one of them believed that Jesus died and rose again. So there would be an astounding and loud and communal amen to that, right? And he says, if that's true, then this is equally assured that those which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So that should have settled it. Whatever the false teachings were, they couldn't stand against this teaching. Not really, right? So Paul focuses there on comfort in the end. We're to be comforted by taking to heart the teaching regarding the pre-tribulation rapture of the church and how different that is from the second coming, should be seven years later, okay? Uh, seven years later, the second coming of Christ to this earth to bring great judgment upon sin and sinners and to deliver the elect of Israel, of course, uh, uh, to fulfill their earthly promises. Okay, then the fifth point, the rapture of the church. Our, our expectation is sure, even a Appointed, uses that word. Uh, first, negatively, God hath not appointed us to wrath. So, Anne, would you please read that for us? First Thessalonians 5, verses 9 through 11. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Wherefore, comfort yourselves together and edify one another, even as also ye do. Thank you, Anne. And then verse 23. Uh, Anne, would you read that also for us, please, since you're just about there, I think. Okay. Um, and the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray, God, your whole spirit, and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Anne. Thank you, Anne. So there is uh, quite a statement <clears throat> indeed. In fact, I think in the whole text of these two letters, these three verses really stand out. It's sort of a, a way of summarizing in just a few words Paul's whole teaching. And his whole refutation of what the false teachers had been teaching uh, those believers. Because what the false teachers had been doing, really, was something that you could hardly <laughs> oppose, you might say, since 
No doubt they were going back to the very words of the Lord Jesus Christ, right? In Matthew chapter 24 and chapter 25, we see the clearest uh, teaching from the Lord. I don't mean that the rest wasn't clear, but the clearest in the sense that it's the most complete, the most detailed teaching of what is going to happen in the tribulation period as the time draws near to the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and what the way of life of believers must be at that time. And that's in Matthew chapter 24 and 25. And uh, we've already looked at that a bit. We're not going to do that today too much. You should look at the notes, though, to get, the, get all the scriptures that I had in mind there for this section. But I'll just read a couple of phrases or sentences from that teaching. And what the false teachers were doing was simply misapplying this teaching of the Lord. He was uh, he was speaking of a different time and a different place and a different people of God. Okay, uh, and uh, not us, not the members of the body of Christ, but those that would live in the tribulation period uh, at that future time. Right. And in Matthew 24, he says what their way of life should be. It all depended on the circumstances at hand. Remember, Satan is unleashed and he's waging war and uh, setting up uh, worship for himself there in Jerusalem. Matthew 24 makes it so clear. He says uh, to his disciples, you'll hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you be not troubled, for all these things must come to pass and the end is not yet. And then he says, these are the beginning of sorrows. They'll deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you. And you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Okay, he goes on in chapter 24. He says, he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He speaks of the abomination of desolation being set up in Jerusalem. That Daniel had the prophet had prophesied, right? Uh, and all the working of Satan is designed to uh, to engender the worship of the peoples of this earth, right? And he uses signs, wonders, and miracles to accomplish that. And then in a little later, he says, "For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time. No, no, nor ever shall be." Okay, so the time to come there in the tribulation period will be great indeed, greater tribulation and trial than has ever come on the earth before. That's yet future. That's not what we're living in today. You may think times are difficult today, but they do, they do not compare with what the prophets forecast for that coming day. Now, all the focus for believers, though, is supposed to be on watching and waiting and not missing the signs of the time. So he says, watch, therefore, for you know not what hour your Lord doth come. Right. He also says, um, watch, you know, not neither the day nor the hour wherein the Son of Man cometh. Okay. There were 10 virgins, five were watching, five were not. You remember that. Matthew chapter 25, right? What does the Lord say to the five that were not watching? 
that were not waiting. They were not noticing the signs of his return. He says, watch, therefore, you do not know the day nor the hour. I verily say to you, to these five, I know you not. The other five who were watching and waiting were welcomed into his kingdom. Okay, so the circumstances in the tribulation period are not similar to where we are living today and cannot be because we're living under grace today in its fullness. And that's what those verses in First Thessalonians are all about. God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation, right? Who died for us that whether we're watching or not, we should live together with him. And I pointed out to you how that's what verse 10 really means. Okay, let's go on to point six concerning the rapture. Their judgment guarantees our deliverance, <laughs> okay? Uh, that's what Paul taught in uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. And Roy, would you please read for us uh, verses 7 through 10? And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels and blame fire taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. And when he shall come to be glorified in his saints, and to be admired in all of them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Thank you, Roy. Thank you. So the tribulation is for those who will not believe the truth of the gospel, right? There is no second chance. After the rapture of believers off of this earth, there is no second chance for those that have refused to believe. Um, it's a sad, sad uh note of coming history but it is secured and uh, the rapture of the church is absolutely certain if not God of course could never judge the world properly right he must remove us completely first okay we are appointed to share in his glory not in his wrath Take heart, take heart. <laughs> His coming is near, right? The seventh point, uh, this uh, wonderful rapture, it's our calling to be glorified together with him. And uh, so, Gail, please read those verses, Second uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. But we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, <clears throat> brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. Whereunto he called you by our gospel to the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Gail. So just in two verses, you have the whole spectrum of our salvation as seen by God himself from behind the curtain, looking all the way back <laughs> to the beginning, right? <laughs> he said, God hath chosen you from the beginning to salvation. 
through sanctification of the spirit and belief of the truth. So historically, our salvation began when we believed the gospel, right? But God already had us in mind uh, far before that, right? But we were called by the gospel. So called to what? Ah, to glory, glory, glory. The glory of our Lord Jesus, right? Our salvation isn't going to be second rate. It's not going to be a limited sort of thing uh, because we're such sinners. We don't deserve more. Uh, the Lord has taken care of all of that in the completed sacrifice, the full sacrifice of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's totally paid the full penalty required that we might even share in his glory. Wow. What a calling indeed that we have, right? Okay, the last point regarding the rapture of the church. By God's power, we expectantly await it. Okay, by God's power. It's really the focus of our lives, as I think we've made very clear, as Paul made it so clear in these letters, and we, we couldn't avoid what he has written, right? By God's power, we expectantly await for the upward calling. Uh, the Lord is faithful, he says here. And uh, Patty, would you please read for us those three verses, Second Thessalonians 3, verses 3 through 5. But the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. And we have confidence in the Lord touching you, that ye both do and will do the things which we command you. And the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Oh, amen, amen. <clears throat> the apostles' teaching is so clear. Without this hope of the rapture, we're disabled spiritually as we live in this world. With the hope of the rapture burning in our hearts, we're enabled to fully live and enjoy him and his work. Okay, that's the simple message here. I love these words. Those last words there, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. And let me now read the very last words in this letter at the end of that chapter as we conclude today. Now the Lord of peace himself give you peace always by all means. The Lord be with you all. The salutation of Paul with mine own hand, which is the token in every epistle, so I write, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. Well, in the last words that Paul ever wrote, just before his martyrdom, he said this to Timothy, henceforth there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. 
Do we love his appearing? I hope and pray to God that we do, that we may enjoy all his fullness and his work of God, the work of God under grace, always. Amen and amen. Lord bless all of you. Let's not for a moment lose our anticipation of his soon coming. Amen. Do I hear any amens? Amen. Amen. I hear many amens. Thank you. Praise God. Praise God. Okay. Well, uh, let's uh, share for a moment and we'll close for the day. But uh, what a blessing it's been to be together. Would anyone like to comment? Uh, Jim, um, that was just a really wonderful recap. And um, as you know, um, we all have that hope in our heart. And I, I think of so many Christians that that um, that are believers, but they don't have that hope. And it's just it's mm-hmm. so sad to me that they don't have yeah. that same hope. It's a uh, it's uh, they're really missing out. Um, I have a quick question. Um, I was studying Acts two. And uh, looking at the at the dreams and the visions, and there's so many people today that are talking about having dreams and, and visions, and I know that that's not appropriate for today in this dispensation of the grace of God. But my question is, will dreams and visions, will, will the Lord be using that after the rapture of the church? Because if this dispensation um, interrupted prophecy, and Peter said that this is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. Will God be using dreams and visions after the rapture of the church, or will he not be doing that? Um, that's actually a very good question. We know that the enemy, Satan, will be using dreams and visions uh, during the tribulation period. And I would think... There's not a lot of revelation on it, but I would think that God would be doing the same, and the issue will be discernment. Okay. <laughs> okay. The issue for believers will be discernment. Okay. And, uh, but there's not a lot about that, uh, really. Uh, it, it, it's pretty clear that what happened in Acts chapter 2 was a precursor you know, a sort of foreview uh, of what would come later, right? Mm-hmm. Um, which indicates that that w- would begin again in the tribulation period. There certainly will be miracles. We know that. I mean, just imagine 144,000 called out <laughs> and going forth to preach, right? Right, uh, right. All over the world. I mean, there certainly will be great miracles. Uh, but the dreams and the visions and so forth... I think we should just assume that that will, again, uh, be reality uh, at that time. And the the dreams and visions, they're not appropriate for today because God is not working in that way today. Is that true? That's absolutely true. Good. Okay. He is not giving any dreams and visions today at all. Right. So people that are um, professing those things, um, they would be doctrines of devils. Is that correct? Well, not necessarily. A lot of people are just living in the realm of imagination. Oh, I see. Okay. 
and not only just imagination, the mind is can be very dangerous. And uh, people, you know, they believe things that are clearly bald-faced lies, right? right. Uh, uh, and their their minds easily deceive them and put words on things that shouldn't, they shouldn't should be putting words on and so forth and so on. I, I hear people talk about their own uh, deliverance from this or that by miracles. And every time they tell the story, they've got a different set of words to put on it. Uh, there are certain radio stations in the Boston area where you hear this continuously uh, about the signs and wonders that God is doing today. And it's just so, well, we know it's so clearly evil, but so many are caught up in it. So I don't think it's necessarily um, a fact that people have these dreams and visions and they're motivated by Satan many times. They're simply deluded by themselves to the degree that they believe that this has occurred. I see. Uh, so, yeah, it doesn't mean they're not captured in various ways by the enemy. In his lies, they are. It's just that uh, to actually have a vision and a dream or to experience a, a miracle uh, of that sort, what does it lead them to? It always leads them to false teaching. You see that happen right. consistently, right? That's very good. Thank you, Jim. Thanks for helping. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure. Any other comments? Any other comments today before we uh, close in prayer? Well, I hope you all had a, a great uh, time considering our nation's founding. And uh, truly, it is Independence Day that we have experienced. It's been set aside for that because of what happened on that day. It's not the 4th of July as much as it is Independence Day. And praise the Lord for that. The Lord's used this nation a great deal. I pray that he continue to, and that that flag would be still flying. And I can't get out of my mind those incredibly brave ones who made that flag fly on Iwo Jima. An incredible sacrifice to keep that flag flying. Okay, let's pray. Father God, thank you. Thank you today for gathering us in the name of the Lord Jesus and with a constant hope of his uh, coming, perhaps soon, to call us into heaven's glory that we might begin our heavenly inheritance with him and with our dear ones have gone before and with all those caught up to be with him together with us praise the lord praise your name and uh, we look forward father uh, that expectation and hope motivates us greatly and i thank you and praise you father for your precious word of truth today in christ's name amen <laughs>